Morning. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Book of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. We're going to look at the last three verses of the chapter. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 to 25. Prior to this, we saw Jesus uh, emerge from relative obscurity for 30 years to be baptized by John, then to be tempted in the desert by Satan, and then to emerge into a preaching ministry in Galilee, where he preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he called his first disciples to begin his ministry. And this passage we're going to look at today is a summary of his ministry. Now, the summary will be explained in the next four or five chapters. So these three verses are a summary of what we're going to read in chapters 5 through 9, where it's expanded. Sermon on the Mount, all sorts of miracles. But this gives us a sort of a quick synopsis of what Jesus' ministry is. Now, I'm here to convince you to do ministry the same way Jesus did ministry. Now, that may sound obvious, but I think once we see what Jesus did, we're going to see that we're not doing it. So is Jesus' ministry a model for us? Should we be doing ministry the same way as Jesus did? I think we should. So the next question is, how did Jesus do ministry? We're going to see three things. He did holistic ministry, he did all-inclusive ministry, and he did powerful ministry. We see all those things from this text, which is showing us a summary of everything Jesus did. What kind of ministry did Jesus have so that we know what kind of ministry we should have? And the first thing we see, verse 23, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from First thing we see here, is the nature of his ministry. What did he do? What did he focus on? And we see that he focused on everything. He had a holistic ministry. He did three things. Verse 23, teaching, preaching, healing. To sum up everything Jesus did, teaching, preaching, healing. So what does it mean to teach? He said teaching in their synagogues. So notice he said Jesus went about all Galilee. And this is why we have to believe that every word is true. This is a short passage. And if every word is not inspired and then accurately conveyed to us, then we can just skip over little passages. But if God intentionally chose these words, then he chose them for a reason. So when it says Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, it shows us that he did not wait for them to come to him. If he waited for them to come to him, it would have said, and Jesus set and taught those who came to him. does not say that. It says Jesus went about all Galilee. Now, 
you're probably not familiar with ancient Galilee, but there are over 200 towns, more than, more than three, four million people. In fact, if Jesus visited two towns every day, seven days a week, it would take him three months. So when it says here, he went about all Galilee, he walked from town to town to town, hundreds of towns, seeking out people, going to their synagogues, the king, the creator, the Lord of the universe going to the people so that he could teach them. This is the kind of ministry Jesus had. He went and he taught. And what does it mean to teach? This word teach is very common in the Bible. And it has a meaning. It doesn't mean preach. It means teach. That's why there's two different words. So what does it mean to teach? It's a repetitious kind of ministry. How do you get someone to learn? Well, this word here, this Greek word, didaskalos, which translated teach, means to continually repeat things to people. Now, we know this from the Old Testament. Line upon line, precept upon precept, when you stand up, when you sit down, when you're in the way, you teach. That's what Jesus is doing. He's presenting information over and over and over again. And that's why when we read the Bible, you see repeating, you see things repeated. So if you are a teacher, which we'll see all of us are called to be, you can't just say it once. You can't just say it twice. If you're not saying it at least three times, you're not really saying it. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's teaching. But more than just repeating, it's an actual transfer of knowledge, a transfer of understanding. It comes from a word, the original root word of this or the language behind it, is reaching out your hand to someone to give them something. Now, that's important because sometimes we think as long as we understand what we're saying, we're teaching. It's not what this word means. The word means that you say it in a way that the knowledge is actually transferred. And that if the person does not understand it, it's because they don't want to understand it. You see how the burden is on the teacher. So when Jesus taught, he taught in a way that didn't just present knowledge, but actually transferred understanding. That's what teaching really is. That's the kind of ministry Jesus had. He said, and we, we see, we'll see this as we go through the, the rest of these chapters. He would formulate it in a way that those who wanted to know could know. And so many of us who are teachers think that as long as the information is accurate, that's good enough. It's not good enough. It's not the ministry of Jesus. And here's what's really interesting. This word teach He's talking about, should we be like Jesus? Sometimes you think, well, that was Jesus. We're not Jesus. And what could lean that way, this word teach is not used about the disciples again. All through the book of Matthew, it talks about Jesus teaching. It does not talk about the disciples teaching. Until you get to the end. Matthew chapter 28. Go therefore make disciples, baptizing them. And then it uses the word again for the first time about someone other than Jesus. Teaching them to observe whatsoever I have commanded you. Should we have the same kind of ministry as Jesus? Yes. And what is that ministry? Repeating, transferring, explaining what Jesus taught. See, when Jesus was here, he didn't need helpers. He didn't need other teachers. But when he left, he said, just so you know, now it's your job. Teach them to observe. So to be part of the ministry of Jesus means to teach, to transfer understanding to work hard 
to go to people and get them to understand. And if you've ever taught anyone anything, whether it's a small child, teenager, adult, it's hard work. It's hard work. And sometimes it's so so, uh, difficult that really you need to see Jesus doing it to have the motivation. You need to say, this is what Jesus did. This is what he wants me to do. That may be the only thing that gets you over the difficulty. Because certainly the people listening to your teaching will not always encourage you. They'll reject you. They'll intentionally misunderstand you. They'll just not pay attention. If you've ever taught someone something and you realize halfway through you're trying to express something that they're not paying attention, that's, that's, that may be the most discouraging thing. I'd rather someone argue with me than just zone out. But it's going to happen. A little too much response on that one. You need to teach because Jesus taught and because he commands us to teach. And we work as hard as we can, whether people listen or not. But they should, the problem should be with their will, not with our presentation. And so often we, we blame people's lack of understanding on their will, not on our abilities or our efforts. So let's be like Jesus. But he didn't just teach. You see, some people think ministry is about transferring knowledge. I know. The more educated you get, the more you think that. I think the more experience and education you have, the more likely you are to lean too much on teaching. You gain knowledge and you want to share knowledge, and that becomes the ministry. But that's not all Jesus did. He said, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. What's the difference between teaching and preaching? That's a huge question. What is the difference between teaching and preaching? Because he didn't just teach, and he didn't just preach. So what is the difference? Notice, you got to know the word. you got to know what the word means. And since you don't have a Greek dictionary handy, I look it up for you. It means to announce, to declare, to proclaim with authority. Teaching is about explaining, getting someone to understand. Preaching is saying, this is the way it is, you need to accept it. There's authority behind preaching. Now, where does the authority come from? Preaching the gospel of the king. There's the authority. You see, preaching is only as authoritative as the message and the messenger as the original giver. If it was preaching the gospel of Israel, there's no authority for us. If it was preaching the gospel of certain kind of politics, there's no authority. But it's preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Therefore, everyone under God is under the authority of the message. Who do you preach to? Who should listen to this message of the gospel of the kingdom? Everyone God created. There's the authority. It's not in the messenger. Even Jesus himself was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He said, I come to do the will of my father. There's the authority. So where's our authority come from? In the message of God, not in our own person. How do you stand up in front of people and be humble and authoritative? How do you put your foot down and say, this is the way it is without becoming arrogant? 
by teaching people to focus on something other than yourself, by preaching to them and saying, it's not about following me. It's about following the message, the gospel, the proclamation. Preaching can include teaching, but it's not teaching. It's proclamation, announcement with authority. Is this just for Jesus? Sort of, he's the son of God, he has this role. As we'll see in chapter 24, this gospel of the kingdom shows up again. Matthew chapter 24 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, then the end will come. The end hasn't come yet, has it? But Jesus is gone. He's in heaven now. So who preaches the message? Who declares the gospel of the kingdom? Who announces that all must live in God's kingdom or suffer? If it's not Jesus, it has to be his followers. Are you a follower of Jesus? Then you are called to announce, declare, proclaim the gospel. And if people don't like it, that doesn't have to be a definition of preaching. Preaching is not preaching to people who want it. It's just declaring. You see, teaching is sort of getting people to understand. Preaching is not exclusively that. It's declaring what people should do. It's saying, this is what you should do, not just know. There's no preaching without authority. There's no proclamation of the kingdom without authority. But it's good news. The good news of God's rule. See, kingdom here does not mean a location. It does not mean boundaries. It doesn't mean a place. It means the exercise of God's rule. Where does God reign? There's the kingdom of God. Is God good? Then his reign is good. So we declare the good news of God's reign. We declare it. We require people to believe it. So if you are going to follow the ministry of Jesus, you must teach the truth. You must proclaim the truth, but he doesn't stop there. And healing. What is Jesus doing? He's bringing in the kingdom. He's got to overthrow things. He's got to overthrow rival kingdoms. So he teaches. He proclaims. But then he practically overthrows the kingdom of Satan. You see, Satan is exerting rule. Sin is ruling. Where does sin rule? There's where Christ opposes it. Does it rule in the mind? Yes. But it also rules in the flesh. The rule of Satan manifests itself in this world. So when Jesus shows up to be king, he has to overthrow physical problems. He has to heal. If he only preached and taught, that's not a that's not the gospel kingdom. That's the intellectual kingdom. That's the mental kingdom. But he came to proclaim the kingdom of heaven, the eternal kingdom that rules over all. So he has to practically overthrow the kingdom of sin in their bodies. So he went about all Galilee, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Went to Syria. All sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who are demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. To follow the ministry of Jesus 
you must address practical, physical problems. You cannot just preach the gospel. Some of us are too, are more gospel-centered than Jesus was. We're more spiritual than Jesus was. We're like, we don't deal with worldly problems. We just deal with spiritual problems. You wouldn't have fit into Jesus' own ministry. He didn't just heal some people. He healed everyone that came to him. This was a summary of what he did. Teaching, preaching, healing. You don't get to pick one. You don't get to pick two. You either do all three or you're not following Jesus. And you know what? There's no direct connection between the healings and conversions. He didn't heal them so they would be converted. Because they all turned their back on him. They all left him. Every single person that he healed rejected him. You know how many people were there after he rose? 120. Out of millions of people. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? There were 10 or 15,000 just there. Every one of them turned their back on him. And he knew it, but he still healed them. You see how it works? You can't just talk about it. You actually have to get your hands dirty and get down to where people are and fight sin. Uh And sin is not just in your head. It's in your body too. It's in the world. It's in the things we live in. And just because people don't get converted through our fight of sin doesn't mean we stop doing it. Because Jesus didn't stop doing it. Knowing that they would reject him, he still healed every single one of them. All sickness. He healed all of them. Why? Because there is a system at play here, a system of sin that worked its way into every part of the world. And Jesus came to overthrow that. He came to overthrow the systems. He came to establish a new system. Kingdom means rule, a way of living, a system of values. Now that system is centered on God, but it's still a all-encompassing way of living. That means fighting sin wherever you find it. Jesus' type of ministry includes all three. You fight sin through teaching, you fight sin through preaching, and you fight sin through healing. We always fight sin because the kingdom of God is opposed to it. And as followers of Jesus, we follow the kingdom, we live a kingdom-centered life, and so we fight sin everywhere we find it just like Jesus did. What else did he do? He had an all-inclusive ministry. Look how many places are named here. In three verses, he names eight separate places, geographical places. All Galilee, synagogues, Syria, Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. He's naming places because... It mattered. How do we know it mattered? Because God made sure that we would never forget these places. Why did he name so many places? So that there was never a doubt of who Jesus' ministry reached. Because there's always going to be a doubt about whether Jesus came for you or whether he came from somebody you don't like. Human nature and sin divides. So Jesus had to be very specific of who he came for. So he mentions people groups. Who are the people groups here? Jews 
and Gentiles. Galilee and Syria. Syria were Gentiles. Romans, Phoenicians. Because there's always going to be, in every society, in every generation, in every place, a way to divide people into groups. Pick the method, man will figure it out. Whether they divide them by social class, by skin color, by just where they live in the country, by who their parents are, by what religion they worship, there's always a way to divide people. And so what Jesus is saying is, in case you thought I only came for Israel, I also came for Syria. And in case you thought I only came for them, I also came for Decapolis. That's the ten Greek cities. And Jerusalem, and Judea, and even beyond the Jordan. In case you forgot about those people. He's being very specific that he came for all people groups. Jews and Gentiles, urban and rural. Notice he mentions Jerusalem and Judea. You know what Jerusalem is? It's in Judea. But there's a difference between New York City and New York. And so Jesus is making sure that you know that the people in the big city and the people in the country both followed him. He came for both of them. Regional, Galilee, Judea, beyond the Jordan, the capitals, these are just regions. The elites in Jerusalem and the outsiders across Jordan. Who did Jesus minister to? And by translation, who do we minister to? Everybody that he can name. Every single person that he can name. He names them. All nationalities. Not just Israel, but Syria. Not just Syria, but all the nations. Rome. Decapolis was a Greek city. All these places were ruled by Rome. These are the ways that Satan divides. Ethnicity, race, region, social class, nationality. Don't think you're not deceived by one of those. If you're not deceived by Satan's oldest plan that Jesus himself had to directly confront, you're the exception. So what is, what's happening here? He's confronting natural human responses and saying, get rid of them. You want to be like Jesus? Stop letting these things divide us. Stop letting nationality, ethnicity, regions, social class divide us. And how do we do that? How do we keep those from dividing us? Do what Jesus did. He didn't say, Jesus went about to all people teaching in their synagogues, preaching and healing them. Now, either these words matter or they don't. We either use the very words of God or we use the ideas of God. Which is it? Is it every word is given for instruction or every idea? It's not the idea that Jesus went to everybody. It's that he went to Galilee. And he went to Syria. And he went to Decapolis. And Jerusalem. And Judea. And beyond the Jordan. Why so specific? Because humans use generalization to obscure. Goes out of his way to include by being specific. You want to overcome division? Be very specific on who we're including. Be just as specific as Jesus was. Man 
creates generalizations. God speaks specifics. He specifically includes people that would naturally be overlooked. When you say Jesus is the king of the Jews, but he came for everybody, you're naturally going to think, well, if he's king of the Jews, he didn't come for the Syrians. So Jesus says, I know you're naturally going to think that they're not included, so let me name them. He didn't just come for Israel. How do we know? Because he said he came for those beyond the Jordan. We want to have a ministry like Jesus. We need to be very careful to name everybody that we might think would be excluded. And not be upset when other people do the same thing. There's no generalization in the Bible. There's specifics. So a ministry like Christ will go out of its way to list a bunch of names and places and people groups that might be excluded. Knowing that Satan himself is working to exclude them. Satan is working to divide. You're up against a system that is global. Satan doesn't just live in one place. He's everywhere, and he's working every system of power. He's the kingdom, he is the prince of the kingdom of the air. He offered Jesus all the kingdoms of this world. Why? Because he's in charge of them for now. And so Jesus is showing up to undo that, which means we need to fight the things that Jesus is fighting here and now and do it the same way that Jesus did it. By being very specific, very intentional, that when we say Jesus heals, teaches, preaches, and heals all people, we also specify those people, just like he did. But that's not all that he did. He didn't just try to do these things. He did them. He didn't just try to teach and preach and heal. So he didn't just have a holistic ministry, an all-inclusive ministry. He had a powerful ministry. Notice how many times the word all is used. Five times. All Galilee, all kinds of sickness, all kinds of disease, all Syria, all those who were demon-possessed. Jesus never failed. When he went to heal everybody, he healed everybody. All physical ailments. If he creation, then there could be nothing in creation that can oppose his will. If he is going to remake everything and rule over everything, then no sickness can be outside his power. He had to heal everybody. But you know what? He still heals everybody. You know, healing didn't stop with Jesus. I don't want to get too charismatic on you, but you know what the whole book of Acts is about? The disciples healing people. You know what it says in James? If you're sick, call the elders to anoint you with oil so that you'll be healed. I think we've gotten so afraid of Pentecostalism and charismatics that we ignore the Bible. Jesus healed. Jesus' disciples healed. And he calls us to continue a ministry of healing. Now, we can be more specific about it later, but to rule out healing because it doesn't seem right anymore is unbiblical. Is Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever? Did he heal yesterday? Is he going to heal tomorrow? Then why can't he heal today? Did he stop being able to heal? Did he stop caring about sin? Now, he uses it in a different way. But he never promised, he never said he would stop healing. Otherwise, why call for the elders to anoint you with oil? 
if you know you're not going to be healed. So the ministry of healing sicknesses is part of the kingdom. Every sickness. Once we know who Jesus is, we can apply that to the problem. And we see what Jesus did and what he calls his disciples to do. But he doesn't just heal physical problems, he heals spiritual problems. Notice where it says, and those who are demon-possessed. He didn't convert them. You, you get this? They weren't saved here. They were freed from demonic powers. Be very careful to distinguish what is happening in this passage. They turned their back on Christ, but they were still free from demons. They may not have followed him, but they weren't possessed. Just like they may not have followed him, but they still were healed. They had a disease, they were healed of the disease, then they killed him. They had a demon, they were freed from the demon, then they killed him. In other words, our ministry is to fight physical and spiritual powers no matter the results, no matter the conversion rate. The king is overthrowing systems of oppression designed by Satan to do what? To oppress people, to cause them to suffer. Suffering is satanic. Suffering is a result of sin. What God does is he reverts it, he inverts it. He says, I'll take suffering and use it to my end. But he never says suffering is the way things should be. This isn't what the kingdom is like. There's only suffering because the kingdom hasn't fully come into power. But the kingdom is pressing forward. And so he heals them. He cast out demons. He cast out systems that Satan has put into place to physically hurt people. Look what it says. This is going to get a little political, so let's read the Bible. Those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics. You know why they had epilepsy and paralysis? Because they were demon-possessed. Read the stories of the demon-possessed people. What did they do? They physically threw themselves into the fire. They cut themselves. They were physically tormented because Satan was at work. When you see physical suffering, you see Satan. Demonic powers causing physical suffering. So what did Jesus do? He fixed their physical problems. Now that doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? Unless you can connect demon-possessed with physical suffering. The man, the demoniac of gatherings, he wasn't sitting in his house demon-possessed. He was out in the caves demon-possessed. He was cutting himself demon-possessed. He was mentally ill because he was demon-possessed. So for Jesus to fix the cutting, to fix the physical ills, he had to fix the spiritual ills. And Christians are called to fight Satan, both spiritually with preaching and with physical means. Did you get that? Both. Gardner Taylor says, of the king, he beholds you and me. Underneath our mask of pious goodness, the Lord Christ knows that we reject him. We live by our wits instead of by our faith in him. We live by scheming instead of by his power. Told to be quietly confident, we're rather anxious and fretted. 
Told to put our affections on things above, we live rather by our list below. Told that we are a colony of heaven, we have taken up citizenship in the city of Mammon. You cannot divide spiritual and physical. They are combined. The love of money. You can't not talk about money. You can't not talk about sickness or you can't talk about Jesus. What in this passage is Jesus doing in his ministry? He's doing three things specifically. He's providing health care. You're like, oh, okay, now we're talking politics. No, I'm not, I'm not talking politics. I'm talking they were sick. He healed them. What do you call that? They had a physical disease. He healed them. They were mentally ill. He healed them. He provided health care. You're like, oh, that was Jesus. Are we doing Jesus' ministry or not? Are we following Jesus or not? When do we draw the line between, well, Jesus did it, but we're not going to do it? You see what we're doing? We're saying, well, that doesn't make sense in our world, so that was Jesus' ministry, but not our ministry. Are we going to follow him or not? His disciples did these things. If we're disciples, we'll do these things. He was providing health care to people who didn't have it. He said, well, yeah, that was easy for him. Mm -mm. Jesus lost. Jesus paid for everything. You know how he healed a disease? He became diseased. You know what substitutionary atonement means? It means that he took it on himself. He didn't die a painless death. He physically suffered so that he could heal the physically suffering. He paid for their health care. Tell me I'm wrong from the scriptures. I'm not talking policies or candidates or health care plans. I'm talking about principles of Jesus' ministry. When we talk about health care, we demand more from people than Jesus did and offer them less. We demand more sacrifice from them and offer them less. What did Jesus demand from the people who had physical problems? Nothing. When they showed up, he said, I'll pay for this by physically suffering so that you won't have to. Either you believe that Jesus paid it all or you don't. Jesus paid it all, didn't he? How were they freely forgiven of their sins? Because Jesus died for their sins. How were they freed from Satan? Because Jesus suffered from Satan. How did they get healed from their sicknesses? Because Jesus suffered for them. Healthcare is just a modern way of saying healing. And it's been politicized for sure. But you know what our job is as Christians? Is to look to the scripture and teach the world. Instead, we're letting the world dictate how we read scripture. Well, I don't believe in universal health care, or I do believe in universal health care, so I'm going to go back to this passage and find out what it says. That's the wrong way. You read this passage and you say, who did he heal? What did they pay? Who paid for it? You know, early Christians did this. In North Africa, there was a terrible, terrible plague that hit the city of Carthage or Alexandria, and everyone ran out to the desert to get away from the plague, except for the Christians in the city. They stayed to care for plague victims. And you know what happened to the Christians? They died from the plague. 
Now, what would you do in that situation? Would you suffer and sacrifice to care for the ill? Or would you flee to safety? The only answer is, what would Jesus do? And even more than that, what did Jesus do? Did he run away from the sickness? Did he run away from the suffering of the cross? He alleviated, alleviated poverty. You know there's a direct connection between physical illness in the Bible and begging? The blind man begged, why? Because he couldn't work. Back then, if you couldn't walk, you couldn't work. And so there was a huge system of poverty because of no one's fault. You realize that they didn't choose to be sick. They just were. They were born blind. They were born paralysis. They were demon-possessed. And so they were poor because of it. They could not work. And so what does Jesus do? He relieves their poverty by healing their bodies. He gives them the ability to work. They didn't have to beg anymore because they could walk. They didn't have to sit outside the gate like blind Bartimaeus and say, please give me money, I can't work for it. Jesus heals him so that he can go. Take up your bed and walk. You don't have to depend on the care of others. This is what Christian ministry is. It's caring for those who can't care for themselves. It's not saying you should care for yourself, therefore it's your problem. Group division. Satan is at work in this world to divide people. Jesus is at work in this world to connect people, unite them. In other words, systems that divide people are satanic. They're not just wrong. They're created and empowered by Satan himself. Satan has demon-possessed powers so that he can control people. What system in this world that we live in is Satan controlling in order to oppress people and hurt people? What system, what power, what person is Satan possessing or controlling so that he can divide people? So that he can cause people to be poor? Where are those systems? You know what Christians are called to do? Seek them out and fight them. Seek them out and fight them just like Jesus did. 2 Corinthians 10 says, For we walk in the flesh, but though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. In other words, we're here on this earth, and we got physical problems. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. Jesus had a powerful ministry, but so do we. We had the same ministry. They're not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In other words, we go about healing all people, all systems, all powers. Christians are not part of the power. We oppose the power. We bring in a kingdom of heaven, not of earth. Who are you going to serve? The king who shows up and fixes problems or the kingdom who says it's your problem? The savior who sacrifices for people or the world who takes from people? The teacher who goes about teaching or those of us who sit in our high towers and say, look how wrong they are. Jesus is the kind of king and his disciples are the kind of people that confront and hunt down sin. 
We seek out Satan's strongholds and we pull them down. We seek out systems of power that Satan has created, both in the church and out of the church, that cause people to physically suffer, spiritually suffer, financially suffer, and we apply the principles of Jesus to them. We rebuke Satan. Maybe I've been listening to too many charismatic preachers. But you are called to rebuke Satan. You are called to say, Satan, get behind me. You are called to pull down strongholds of Satan. And you don't get to pick which ones you want and which ones you don't. Jesus pulled them all down, so we pulled them all down. How is this church continuing the ministry of Jesus in this world? How are we teaching people? How are we preaching and how are we healing? What resources that we have are we using to help people? Jesus used all his resources. He gave up everything. What are we doing? What Jesus pulled down, we pulled down. What Jesus opposed, we oppose. What Jesus confronts, we confront. When we see systemic problems, we confront them like Jesus did. When we see division in the world, we confront it. And we call it for what it is. Satanic. Demon possession. Not bad choices. Not cultural problems. Demon possession. And we see what Jesus fought so we know where the demon Which king will you serve? Are you going to bow before the king of all power? Are you going to serve the Lord of all people? Are you going to follow the teacher of all people? Because if you are, then you've got to do all the things he did. Jesus said, greater things you'll do than I did. We've made this ministry where Jesus did all the great things and we just sort of wait for him to come back. That's not what we're called to do. Jesus specifically said, you'll do greater things than I did. I healed some demon-possessed people, but you'll pull down whole systems of Satan. I fixed a few poor people in my country. You'll go through the whole world and fight poverty. I created some unity among a divided nation. You'll go in the whole world and create unity. But to do that, you've got to seize Satan and you've got to fight him. You've got to put aside nationality, ethnicity, regions, and put them in their place. Either God gave it to you and you use it for him or man gave it to you and you got rid of it. That's a tough choice to make sometimes. But we are called to be fighting, following Christ. Are you following the Lord of justice or the world of injustice? Are you following, to put it plainly, are you following Jesus or are you following Satan? Jesus names people. Jesus targets people. Jesus unifies people without obscuring them. Jesus heals physical problems. Jesus fights poverty. Jesus fights division. Jesus fights ignorance. Satan doesn't. Are you on Christ's side? Are you doing those things? God is going to win. He already won at the cross, He won at the resurrection. And he's going to come back and win again. You can be on his side and participate in fighting Satan, or you can look the other way. You can be complicit. Silence and apathy is complicity. You are saying, I'm against it, but it's not my problem. 
close with this hymn. Lead on, O King Eternal, the day of march has come. Henceforth, in fields of conquest, thy tent shall be our home. Through days of preparation, thy grace has made us strong. And now, O King Eternal, we lift our battle song. Let's pray.